Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 204 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here, as always, to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to go on the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being with us this week and tuning in to the podcast. Now in this week's episode, we are mostly chatting women in MTB with Lynn Armstrong. Now Lynn has an amazing background. She's originally from Scotland, but then moved to that capital we all think of mountain biking called Whistler. So we chat to her a good bit about that. We chat to her a little bit about her background in Scotland. We also chat to her about being a member of the clan, the stunter team with Danny McCaskill. Now, that happened maybe 12, 13 years ago, so it's good to get a bit of insight into that. We also chat to her about her very successful women's freeride festival. She started and ran for like 10 years or so before she moved to Whistler called the Air Maiden Festival. She's come home to Scotland a few times since then and, you know, it's kind of been reborn a couple of times and she's got other things all planned for the future of it as well. But it's really cool to hear the insight into that and how that can help people get into mountain biking, enjoy it a little more and build up the courage if that's what they require to get out on bikes and ride and become part of a bigger group with guys and girls and everything. So it was really good to chat to Lynn about all that. We also chat to her about moving to Canada, moving to Whistler, how she worked there in the Evolution Bike Store, um, which was started by a 21-year-old woman back in 1985, believe it or not. An amazing story. We also chat to her about the FMB World Tour, where she is a judge in that, and um, it's probably going to be continuing stuff like that in the future. So, without further ado, let's welcome Lynn to the MTB Tribe Podcast. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast. How are you this morning? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. What's the weather like in Whistler? <laughs> well, today. <laughs> Straight to today- it. Well, it's actually forecast to rain today, um, finally, after about six weeks of uh, quite hot weather. But um, yeah. right now it feels really muggy and I'm not convinced it's actually going to produce much because I live in Pemberton, which is about 25 minutes north of Whistler, and it's um, about a thousand feet lower than Whistler. So it's actually warmer, mm. a few degrees mm. warmer usually here. And um, when they have rain in the forecast here, it generally doesn't amount to much. <laughs> Compared to back home anyway. So we, we do need it though because there's been a lot of wildfires and BC still are and um, it's very, very dry here. So we could do with a good old downpour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. Um, now it's interesting you're live, living in Whistler. We'll get into that because I'm sure the listeners want to hear a lot of stuff about Whistler from a local there almost. Um, but, you know, people will obviously recognise your Scottish accent. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you were born in Scotland, you grew up in Scotland. Yeah, I was born in Edinburgh, um, grew up in a town called Galashiels, which is actually not far from Peebles, um, so about 30 miles south of Edinburgh, yeah, and lived there till I was, uh, I left school and I went off to university in Edinburgh and then hung around uh, the west coast of Glasgow, lived in Paisley for a number of years, which is where I actually got into mountain biking before doing a bit of traveling and that's I initially came to Canada in 2006 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, to live okay. Here. Yeah, you've been yeah. there quite a while then. Excellent. Well, the, kind of the back and forth a little bit for sure. But initially, um, yeah, I went out there in 2006 on a, one of those working holiday visas with my then partner. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We'll get into that. I'm interested yeah. in that. <laughs> sure. Um, now, it was Joey Goff that um, basically asked me to get you on here. Um, so amazing, amazing to get, you know, Joey's recommendation to get you on because she says you're very interested and you, you've a lot of stuff to chat about, which I agree, looking uh, into what you've been doing in the past and stuff. But now she calls you the, the OG jumper freestyle rider. Would that be right? No, he's been far too kind. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's at, I mean, Joey and I met because I ran Air, Air Maiden and I was absolutely desperate to get her up to one of our freeride events in Scotland and um, to have her there as a guest coach because she's she's so amazing to watch on a bike and she has so many skills. So, um, and then out, out of that, we, uh, we became friends and rode together and um, I, I sort of cajoled her into coaching for me for a, a few different kind of things in the UK and then when she comes over here we we hang out and ride together so yeah we've become good friends but I think she did what she means is I'm just old <laughs> I've been doing, I've been doing it for a while um I mean I mean there was not there weren't many women sort of veering towards or are more interested in the sort of what you would call free ridey type riding as in hitting bigger jumps doing tricks and drops and that's kind of where I ended up right. my interest yeah. ended up going so I, maybe she means by that but yeah that's a bit a bit too much of a compliment I would say <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into bikes in the beginning then was it the BMX thing like Joey or how did how no. did you get introduced to the two-wheel thing um yeah by accident almost I mean I'd moved to Paisley and after I graduated because I was uh I had a boyfriend from there so I moved across from Edinburgh to Paisley which is just outside Glasgow and um I had a bunch of friends there who mountain biked and at the time I was a martial arts instructor and that was actually my my full-time job and I was getting a bit sick of being in a gym all the time so um I'm like I want to do something outside and I used to snowboard with these guys in the winter up in Glencoe and uh they're like, come mountain biking with us. So I ended up buying a, like a, a far too big GT Zasker off of one of their friends. And then I just kind of followed them around on the old Kilpatrick Hills outside Dumbarton. And uh, I was I could keep up with them going uphill because I was fit from martial arts. But on the way down, I was completely clueless, like um, over the bars constantly, falling in cow shit. And, uh, <laughs> and they called me the sheep chaser because there was a drop halfway down the, that trail. That we used to ride, which you had to make sure there weren't sheep gathered at the landing. So they used to ch- send me down in the early days to make sure there was no sheep so they could hit the drop. Um, so that's how I got into it, was just riding around with them. And then eventually, you know, we started going to Glen Tress from uh, oh, every other weekend. And like we'd spend the whole day doing the red route because back in those days, we just session stuff. We didn't like, we weren't in it to get fit. We were really just wanting to go on session jumps and yeah. we had the village at Glentress with all the wooden stuff then so we used to go and hit that up and um yeah that's how it that's how my obsession was born really it's thanks to them those guys and uh yeah um that's that's it yeah cool and like when you get into it initially there was there any other girls riding or anything like that you know do you have any friends that you would bring along or were you just in a pack of guys there I, I wasn't a pack of guys there was probably about 12 13 of them 
um, and me. <laughs> um, and then eventually, when I did start going to Glen Tress, I met some women there, um, like Emma Guy and Tracy Bringer, who were running the hub cafe then and they had a bike shop then and they were ex-world cup racers and so I kind of got to know them through the cafe they ran um and it was through them they encouraged me to race um and then I kind of slowly started to meet a few women but I mean back then you could turn up to a race and there'd be there might be 10 women or there might be two it was really kind of hit and miss um but yeah not generally riding around in those days it was just me and a bunch of guys at the start for sure yeah it's yeah. interesting because you know when i get somebody on the show like yourself i always try to ask them you know how is it best for girls to get involved in the sport you know um mm-hmm. but it's interesting i don't know if you've been watching much of the olympics there but um mm-hmm. you know with your wee skater girl and yeah you know how how well the, the girls have done the bmx and stuff you mm-hmm. know this is this is all starting to come up again you know how, how yeah. do we get more girls involved um yeah you know and i want to chat to you obviously about the air maiden stuff um mm-hmm. and all that so we'll we'll get into that because i'd be interested in your opinion on that and just how you would advise girls to get more involved you know yeah um because i think we need it i think the scene needs it now it's about time Oh yeah, and I think it's changed a lot since I was since I since I first started, you know, and because of um, not just Air Maiden, but a whole bunch of other uh, people across the globe who have started events and coaching, specific coaching for women. That's opened up a lot more possibilities and opportunities for women. And I mean, not all women need or want that, or girls want or need to be riding with uh, other women. I certainly wasn't phased by it, but I think. Um, I don't think all girls are, and women are like that. I think there's definitely a market for it. And uh, and and here, uh, this part of the world especially, and even back in the Tweed Valley where I lived just up until 2018, um, there's a ton of women riding now, mm. tons of women. And, they're, and, you know, we're just like, we're pretty good at organising ourselves. I know here in Pembroke we have a women's bike club that goes out every Wednesday night. And that was just started by a bunch of mums who were like, oh, God, I need to get out of my bike. I've just had a kid. <laughs> and, uh, I need a break and that's that grew exponentially over the last few years so there's like little pockets of those kinds of local things happening all over the place um, right up to women's events and now we're starting to see more high profile events um, you know like the kind of Red Bull formation and sort of women being invited like Joey to the Audi 9s and stuff like that so mm-hmm. yeah I think it's it's all great and I think there's different you know there's different views on both sides um for women some women are just don't see the need for women's events and aren't interested in them and some just really really value that I mean I've just came back from Silver Star Bike Park and Sun Peaks um coaching for women's specific downhill camps there um so it's it's definitely very popular and definitely a great sort of um gateway for, for women to get into that side of the sport, especially the kind of more challenging side of it, right? The mm-hmm. downhill and the, the free ride. So, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's come a long way. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely, I see from younger girls coming through now who just, like, they're just comfortable riding. I don't actually see, honestly, in this part of the world, any real negative sexism. Very rarely. Um, 
riding here. You just need to go to Whistler Bike Park to see how many women are riding, and they're riding fast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the standards mm-hmm. high, and the standard of young girls coming through and riding now is incredible. Um, yeah. You know, and I think maybe 20 years ago, us women who were doing it just with the boys have maybe kind of had a had inadvertently had a role to play in that, right? Because uh, they've grown up looking at some women riding or seen a few more women on the trails and been more encouraged to take part. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's all it's all the evolution of it, and um, I think it's it's great to see so many out there now. Yeah, for sure. And I've had a couple of people tell me that they were absolutely blown away by the amount of uh, girls they had seen at Whistler riding. You know, it was just mm-hmm. a completely different scene there for for girls. You know, here you're lucky if you see a girl on the trail, but you know, over there it's just something something different. Yeah, I mean, I know. Like, I, well, I lived in the Tweed Valley um, between. Oh God! What year? Twenty fifteen. We came back for a few years, uh, two and a half years, and um, lived in Inorlithan. <clears throat> and that even then, by the time I came back in two thousand fifteen, there were way more women riding. And there's a good community in the Tweed Valley now of uh, female riders. They've got their they've got their Facebook group where they organise rides. There's women going out different days with friends. It's there's yeah, there's a lot more women riding even there now for sure, yeah. and lots of. And lots of women like Anila and um, in that area kind of leading the way with organising social rides and fun stuff to, so that it's less intimidating, right? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it is crazy because you hear some of the, you know, when I chat to some of the female girls on the show here and chat to them about how they get into the the bike scene, some of the little ones here, you know, it's all, oh, well, my boyfriend was into it and he gave me his downhill bike and just said, oh, come on, we'll go down mm-hmm. this. And the first time they'd ever been on a mountain bike off road was yeah. like on a red, on a downhill bike, you know, like, come <laughs> on, you know, give me a break. Totally. <laughs> Chucked in at the deep end. Now, uh, Joey tells me that you competed at the Whistler Crankswork Slope Style event when it was a women's event. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. They had that briefly for a few years back in the mid noughties I guess it was. Um, oh, so I'd been here 2006 for the year, um, and we just travelled around racing and riding. Um, and then the following year, Crankworks decided to put on this thing called the Gala, which was a it was it was kind of uh, yeah pinned as a women's slope style event so the way it worked was um you got judged on different parts of the mountain so it was back when they had the bone yard at the bottom of whistler mountain so it wasn't the joyride park which is way bigger now mm-hmm. um back then like normal people could ride the boneyard so they had like a fun box a step up step down kind of thing and and they had some like big ladder drops for sure and big jumps but they were kind of they weren't like 40 foot gaps you know or 60 foot gaps um like they are now so we got judged on a techie section up the top of whistler mountain i believe uh if my memory serves me correctly it was goat's gully which is like a double black trail with a bit of a janky corner in it so we got we got judged on how we rode that um and then we got judged on a trail called schlayer um which had a drop that you could just send it as big as you wanted to so you got judged on your style and amplitude etc coming out of that and then you had the option down the bottom of the mountain to either finish in the boneyard or ride the last few jumps on a-line and then you got obviously got scored higher if you rode the boneyard and so yeah i was like i have to go back for that so in 2007 i did actually come back and and um do it and i was kind of quite determined 
Um, and there was a drop at the bottom. It was probably about, I don't know, 18, 20 foot or something off the top mm-hmm. of my head. And um, a ladder drop. And I was like, there was a, maybe two or three women hitting it. So I knew if I wanted to get on the podium, I was going to have to hit that drop. So um, I was on, riding a little SX trail at the time, a six and six um, bike. And uh, I, I managed to get myself off that drop. <laughs> And I was doing like no footers at the time and, you know, those kind of three pointer things where you keep one hand on the bar and everything else is off. So that kind of got me on the podium. I ended up fourth um, in the pro category behind the legendary Claire Bouchard and um, a bunch of other mainly North American riders because um, there weren't, you know, it wasn't big in the UK. We just didn't have those kinds of features. It's all still pretty natural there. So especially up in Scotland. So, um, yeah, they did that. And then um, I came I came back a couple of years later and uh, tried my hand at it again. wasn't quite successful. But, um, but yeah, super fun. And it, it was kind of spearheaded by a couple of women um, in Whistler, Whistler-based riders. And so when they kind of stopped doing it, I don't really know the, the kind of ins and outs of why that stopped, but it definitely discontinued after that. Um, uh, unfortunately but yeah that's kind of what spearheaded me to come back and start air maiden actually was having experienced that and then um, came back to scotland I'm like we need to do this here <laughs> and we i need more women to do this kind of riding with so that's essentially how that was kind of born yeah yeah, yeah. interesting like yeah. that that westler experience was that your first taste of westler then no, I came across it in 2004 with my boyfriend at the time on, on vacation. And uh, we just did the, we are going to the bike park, rented a little condo in the middle of the village and just hammered laps for two weeks until wow. our bikes were broken and we had no skin left in our hands. <laughs> and then, yeah, we literally were like riding 20 laps a day of the bike park. We were just, and then we'd come back at night and fall asleep halfway through eating a Domino's pizza because we were so exhausted. But I, we were, uh, we came across then, and then we came across the next year with a posse because we were raving about the bike park. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've been been coming. To, I mean, I've been whistling before that snowboarding, but to bike that was my first year was two thousand and four, um, and on and off over the years came. If I wasn't living here, was coming on on vacation, and then eventually um, met my now partner who is Canadian. So, yeah. And who happens to just live beside Whistler? That was a good move. Yeah, well, he lived in Whistler. I actually <laughs> met him while I was across. Uh, I actually met him when I was competing at Crankworks in um, 2009. Um, wow, class. I, and, and by by complete chance, because um, me and a friend had come over, and she was kind of a sort of recreational biker. And uh, after the kind of slope style event, there was a one of those industry parties, I think, but like Oakley were hosting and we were all as athletes were all invited to it at the GLC which is the kind of bar right at the base of the mountain and so we went there that night and they wouldn't let my friend in because she wasn't on the list right she wasn't on the athlete oh. list so I was like well so this I'm not gone <laughs> I don't care I'm not really the schmoozing type I'm um <clears throat> so I was like well you know sod this party let's just do a pub crawl all the way back to our apartment down in Whistler Marketplace and um and in one of those bars, which is actually, it's no longer, the bar still exists, it's got a different name by, but it's kind of one of those, this is where, um, this is where many Whistler couples have met, it was called Cheetahs, 
and me and <laughs> I, I, my now husband was in that bar that night and that's how I met him so it was all like a little bit chance you know um oh, wow. how brilliant, it happened brilliant. yeah rest is history I guess <laughs> Class, class. Now let's chat a little bit about the clan because mm-hmm. this was a stunter with Danny McCaskill, basically. Yeah, that was uh, actually that was two thousand and eight, I think, if I remember correctly, two thousand seven or eight. I'd come back from the year in Canada. I was, um, I was kind of just doing part time jobs, trying to figure out what I was doing in my life and um, living in my hometown again, and. Um, a friend of mine, Ian Withers, was starting this stunt team called The Clan, and it was going to be, Danny was the kind of main attraction with his, even back then, his skills. Yeah, I think he just released that video of him in Edinburgh. <clears throat> and they were recruiting riders for it, and they needed a woman, and someone suggested me. And I'm like, okay, what's this going to involve? Um, I remember going to see the premiere of a, a mountain bike film called Home, Mm-hmm. at the time in Glasgow and uh, Danny was in it and I'd never met him and I just watched him going backwards doing that street next to the art school on his front wheel and I'm like oh my god I can't ride with this guy I can't do that <laughs> mm. um, anyway yeah the so I ended up going on some training stuff with um so we got to know each other before we started actually doing shows and um it was awesome. It was like Fraser McNeil, um, Nash Mass, and both of those guys now own bike shops in Scotland. Um, Duncan, Duncan Shaw, who also is with Danny in the um, Drop and Roll show now, and um, and me. And so Fraser and myself were the kind of dirt jumpers who jumped over the box. And then Danny and Duncan were obviously trials, and Nash was <clears throat> the BMXer who mm. also did a bit of trialsy stuff. So yeah, we kind of put the show together and then started traveling around in the summer, outdoor shows and schools in Scotland. At first we had to have all these really, like they'd, the marketing part of it, they'd gave us all fake names and like these cards that went with us telling kids what we were into, like favorite movie, favorite food and all this. And we had to <laughs> pretend to be that character. And it was just, they ended up dropping it because we were such idiots with it. You know, like there was, I remember us being up north, I was way up north somewhere doing a show and my my nickname was Joe. And um, on my card, it said my favourite movie was like Step Up to the Streets or something, which I hadn't even seen. It was like some dance movie. <laughs> so they used to like, Danny and Duncan used to wind me up by saying, telling the kids that we were helping. Because we used to do a show and then we'd coach them and the kids got really, like, honestly, they treated us like celebrities. It was, I was quite uncomfortable with it. <laughs> But, they, you know, they wanted your autograph and everything. So they come up at the end and Danny and Duncan are like, oh, you should get Joe to show you some moves from Step Up from the Streets. She's really good at it. And they're like, yeah, show us dance moves. And I'm like, giving them evil stares. Um, and then we were like, giving these pens to sign autographs with. But a couple of times, Danny and I actually autograph people's heads at their requests or their arms with these bloody permanent markers. <laughs> so Ian's like, you have to stop doing that. <laughs> Because kids were going home from school with like permanent marker on their heads with our names on them. <laughs> like, okay. So it was a complete riot, actually. We had a good time and eventually they just got rid of the um the we were called the riders, that's what it was at first. We had to wear these specific t-shirts and everything. The next year they ditched that and we were allowed to be ourselves. But yeah, I mean I my riding, especially tricks wise, came a long way. I actually remember 
we used to go to Unit 23 a lot to the foam pit to practice tricks. And I remember watching Danny learn a backflip there. And, and um, yeah, I mean, like, great insight into, or for me, just kind of watching a rider of that calibre learn something and how long it takes and having a whole amount of respect for that. You know, I think a lot of people see um, talented riders or athletes performing their their skill and think that it comes really naturally to them but actually it 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 takes a long time and a lot of making an arse of it you know so yeah. I became a bit obsessed with it. I was like I, I want to land a backflip I want to do it and um and so those those guys riding with those guys taught me a lot about um dirt jumping and tricks and and stuff so we got really used to just rocking up to outdoor shows or schools like build the rig because we had to build the rig we built the rig and then we'd literally have 30 minutes to warm up, if that, before all these screaming kids came out and we had to perform like, uh, you know, so I got used to like, okay, I just need to bust out a no footer without any real kind of practice, you know. Um, and there were times we didn't get it right, but but it was really good for my kind of comp- like working under pressure, right, and being able to just do that when you needed to. So, yeah, that was like three years of of uh, fun and traveling around the country and <clears throat> lots of shenanigans that I probably shouldn't talk about on here. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yeah, so when like, he brought, when Danny brought his book out and I'm like, yeah, uh, that's obviously the censored version. Maybe I should bring out a book with the, the, what actually happened on those days, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Classic. I'm sure there's some amazing stories from it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant, brilliant. But, uh, you know, yeah. was that your full-time gig then for three years? No, I just did it in the summer and it was like, you know, it was weekends occasionally during the week. And at the time I, I was actually trying to be a firefighter. So mm. I was going through the kind of um, tests for that. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of working locally in some job, um, sort of office based job. Um, and I started dabbling a little bit in coaching then, um, helping out Tracy and Emma who run the hub also run a coaching business and a big shop. They were, they, um, they did a lot of stuff back then. And um, so I used to help coach with them a little bit. So yeah, I'd, I wouldn't say I had a, it was a full-time gig, but um, it was good. I was like, I get paid to ride my bike. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, and, was it a full-time like, gig for Danny? Was it? Oh yeah. 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 Cause they, and I didn't go to everything. Like sometimes they just wanted the trials rig. Because that was a lot easier to just set up than the whole box with a with a kind of kicker and stuff. Mm-hmm. So Danny and Duncan did a lot by themselves, and they used to bop about. But then when they wanted the full clan, then we all went. The five of us went. Um, so yeah, Fraser and I were we were more dabblers, you know. And then <clears throat> Danny and Duncan, yeah, I mean Danny was in great demand, and yeah. then and he just like just turned into a big deal overnight you know uh, which we all used to take the piss out of him for but <laughs> but uh, but yeah it was it was great uh, honestly a really great time in my life I'm so I feel really lucky to have been able to do that and um they'd, I was like 10 years older than all of those guys I think Danny was like in his early 20s and I was in my early 30s by the time I was doing that they mm-hmm. called me Old Spice actually <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah, it was um yeah, he kinda went that way. I ended up going into firefighting um for a bit. And so I still doubled. I actually went back when I moved back home in twenty fifteen. I think the following summer in twenty sixteen I went back and did a show with him in Aaron on the Isle of Aaron. And they were just and Ian was just introducing me as Rad Mum by then. 
because I was like <laughs> 40. <laughs> like, oh my God, I don't know if I could still do this. I'm like, really? Do you want do you want 10 year old girls to be looking up to me? I'm like a mum. Anyway, it was it was fun to just go and do it. And I think they've had like they've had a few more women after me. Um, and after I moved to Canada, um, step into that role and done a great job. So yeah, it's it's still going. It's still going. I know Danny and Duncan have moved on and, and started their own thing, but um, but the clan still prevails and is still touring around Scotland doing really? that. So, yeah, yeah. Wow, because yeah, I was I was watching some old footage on YouTube and it was old right. Danny footage, you know, and, and stuff like right. that. And well, uh, what they, aye, they did like they made us film a an intro to the clan, like a promo video, and it was like us all being. Did you see the one where we're all being kidnapped and chucked in the back of a van? No, I haven't seen that. Oh my god! I look it up. It's like about seven minutes long, and it's all like, you know, we're all just riding about, and then someone chucks a sack over our heads and grabs us and chucks us into the back of this truck, and then we're all like released at the show. I think the show is at like Linlithgow Palace or something. Um, but yeah, we have to do stuff like that, and I'm like, oh my yeah. god, what is going on here? But yeah, they're they're still going. I, I mean, obviously with COVID, they've probably not been doing very much, but um. But certainly up until that point, I know they've got, um, they're still pretty active and still getting bookings for outdoor shows and stuff like that. Amazing. That's so good. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Class. All right. Let's jump into the Air Maiden Festival then and how this all came about, because it's a pretty big deal, this. Well, yeah, it was, um, as I said, it started when my, um, when I came back from Crankworks and I'm like, I really wish we could, there was more women riding this stuff, like riding the stuff I want to ride here mm-hmm. um, and maybe getting a little bit of a scene going, maybe a competition. I was quite ambitious with it. So I decided to start um, a free ride event, but it was like a coaching weekend. Um, partly because I thought, well, we need to start there but or no one's going to come um, to teach these skills and partly because of insurance because <laughs> you can't it's, it was really hard and probably still is to get insurance to run that kind of competition because of the risk level but yeah. um so i did i did a coaching weekend at glentress freeride parks which was really well set up for that you know it's self-contained parking easy to get to jumps had some drops had some wall rides i'm like okay well we can just do some coaching and then we can have a wee like free ride event super chilled at the end of the weekend where we just get we plot a couple of runs down the free ride park and we give them a score and it literally was that basic we're like we'll give them a score i can't even remember if it was at five or ten based on their flow their you know their fluidity their amplitude if they pulled any tricks and the vast majority of women weren't doing that but there were a handful which was really important because then these women got to see the kind of um higher skilled level doing stuff right even if it was an x up or a one-hander or something then um they got to witness that and so that's kind of how it started the very first one had like 30 odd women and i had like actually tracy mosley coached to the first one mm-hmm. and then um, emma and tracy and myself i'm sure i'm forgetting people so apologies if anyone's here going i, I coached it that why aren't you mentioning me <laughs> but it was in 2008 and then um it we did it for a few more years there was a couple of years where i was actually in canada and some um, friends of mine kept it running and it grew quite big. It was, um, it became quite popular and we got some back in and we had loads of swag, obviously, to give away. Um, 
And then it's actually stopped for a few years. I came when I came to Canada. I did actually do one here in Pemberton, but it was more, it was less free riding and more just a sort of coaching format with a barbecue at the lake after it and stuff. But when I went back in 2015, I decided um, to start it back up because the name was sort of still there, right? It's sort of almost this brand name had been built. And I'm like, well, it's, people still know what it is. So I decided because I, I came back to Scotland going, what am I going to do for work here? <clears throat> and then I'd, so I decided to just start a coaching and events thing. So I did kind of small group coaching, but I also did this, I, I reignited the annual Air Maiden freeride event, except this time there's way more women riding. Um, and it got quite big to the point where la the last one in 2018 was, there was over 100 women and we had it like a, it was like a three day festival almost. Mm. And so we had, we still had the coaching, small group coaching clinics, for, which was the kind of main the meat of it but then we had we still had the free ride event we had a, a pump race down a, a trail called oh god berm baby berm in blentress which is a blue flow trail but you can pretty much ride down it without pedaling if you pump the bike properly so mm -hmm. we made everyone do that they could race down it and whoever was the fastest won a prize and stuff like that and we also had a dual slalom in the field below glentress because i know the guy that owns that field <laughs> And it used to have, it had the remnants of an old dual slalom at the very bottom of it, still there. So we just like incorporated that and then chucked in a bunch of flagpoles so they could roll <laughs> down the the um, the grass. Mm -hmm. And we made it fancy dress. And actually, Joey was dressed up as a monkey and she raced my friend who was dressed up as a hippie. It was hilarious. It was just like watching these people and like you're on the grass and I think, you know, people think that's easy, but there was a lot of wipeouts. It was it was pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And so and then we had a best trick competition because always part of the Air Maiden event was always I had this kind of trick jump. And I was fortunate enough to have friends who I could blag favours off of, um, building me landings and stuff like that, wooden landings. <clears throat> um, I felt like I had Richard Latimer, who used to build portable Trump uh, pump tracks, built me a kicker and I got a whole bunch of wood chippings and um, put that in the landing and we kind of came full circle because back in 2009 I did a backflip on that jump mm. and then nobody ever did again and like there was loads of progression and lots more women hitting that jump than there were at the start like at the start there was only a few women um, who felt confident enough to try it but by 2018 there were so many women hitting that jump and Louise Ferguson um from up the west coast who now is in New Zealand <clears throat> and a bit of a free rider she uh, backflipped that jump in 2018 and I was kind of a it was kind of a cool ending because I was literally moving back to Canada a month later for good and so I was like oh my it's the 10th year of it since Air Maiden started and that we're finishing with this big festival and these um and somebody's backflipping it again so it was kind of, it was quite emotional for me. I was like, oh God, this is exactly what I wanted to see. You know, mm -hmm. like just all these women feeling confident enough that they can ride this kind of stuff, that they're no scared of jumping and drop-offs and, and those kinds of features. And yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool way to finish it. So actually it hasn't run since then because um, I've been here and, um, and I'm kind of caught up in the world of family and, working a real job now so so but yeah that's it that's kind of where it was at it was um and I feel like it probably did I mean we were the 
I think we were the first to have a, a women's free ride event in the UK. And I think like maybe even like really one of the first to do women's specific coaching and events back then, you know? Yeah. So, and I feel like, yeah, it's a bit of a legacy for me, but it's also like it, it's caused the birth of so many other things now um, with women into riding and, and there's, I know there's a lot happening in the Tweed Valley now that have just carried it on under a, a, a diff, slightly different, but, um, but yeah, you know, lots of other women's events, lots of women who I used to coach now running their own coaching businesses and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see. I just, uh, I, I just wish kind of time slowed down a little bit and I could pack it all in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's amazing, like amazing. <laughs> You know, yeah. and I'm sure I'm sure you've seen so many different characters come through Air Maiden and so many different kind of levels of ability. But, you know, mm-hmm. for somebody going to that, like what what does t- attending an event like that do to help riders? Like, how do you see it helping riders the most? I think a lot of it has to do with the atmosphere that's created. I mean, it was important for me at the start to make it sort of make it relaxed. I think a lot of it had to do with the personalities that were running it. We were all pretty outgoing, um, like fun orientated people. So we never take ourselves too seriously. Um, and, and it was important to create that vibe so that like women, uh, you could see in the first day women would show up and we did an enduro race as well. And they used, they were just looked terrified mm-hmm. the first day, just like, what am I doing here? Oh my God. But, um, but very quickly realized actually we're all in the same boat here. We're all here to learn and help each other. And it was, I mean, it sounds super cheesy, but it actually was, I think, part of you just you you set the tone for the start, um, with it being like just being relaxed and making it about fun. Um and then the kind of learning is easier, the progression's easier because they're not as stressed out about performing right or oh god these women because I, I remember it for when I started racing the first very first downhill race I showed up to was the winter wet and wild series in Innerleithen which was in January or February mm. or something absolutely freezing and cold um and wet lived up to its name but I showed up and there was 10 women there and I'm like wearing a pair of combat trousers and a hoodie and a full facer um and there's like women there head to toe and matching fox gear. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. And they were like really nice, really friendly and like giving me advice about how, how to go on. But I was really intimidated by that because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. But then you you race and you realize actually you're you're fine. Um, but I think there's definitely this perception. And I know like from taking friends to Whistler before, they just – the first thing you see is that bloody joyride park at the bottom of the hill. And you're like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so it's just, I think a lot of it's perception and anticipation of, of what this sport is about. And once you kind of, they, you break the ice and sort of settle people and reassure them, actually it's really fun. Remember this is supposed to be fun. Um, then the actual progression part sort of takes care of itself. And I've definitely had lots of feedback from women over the years about how just that sort of camaraderie and supportive um, environment makes such a difference. And and then, you know, you team up with women, you go, oh, I feel like I might be a similar level to her. And she just hit that wee drop. So maybe I can do it as well. And then that's when you start to see people pushing themselves and getting out of their comfort zone. Um, yeah. And, and like I said before, some women don't need that I, I followed my ex around and just followed him off his stuff 
Um, <clears throat> and so not every woman needs to be in, around a bunch of other, other women to progress, but I think there are there's a, a, quite a few that do really yeah. benefit Yeah, I think it's a good introduction to the whole scene if you're not sure you know it's if, mm-hmm. if you come from outside of that kind of scene it can be quite intimidating you see all these guys with cool gear and good bikes and chatting yeah. the chat and it can exactly. just be such a such a different environment to get involved and you totally. almost feel like a bit of an outsider you know mm-hmm. in a way and you maybe that you shouldn't be there so i suppose yeah. i suppose the lady thing helps that way it's a first step but it would be lovely to not even have to chat about that let's just go yes. ride our bikes it doesn't matter what yeah. sex you are what age you are what color you are let's just go ride bikes totally well i think it's uh, that's where it's heading for sure and i think there's definitely more of that especially like you know younger people are being like i try and raise my kids that way i'm like don't see <clears throat> you know your gender as any sort of limiting factor to anything you can do right uh and and um and I think that's what's happening now. Like younger younger kids are growing up and they just don't see those barriers the same they that we did because they're not growing up with them and um there's less and less of that for sure. I mean we could go on and on about uh politically the sexism that still exists in the world and and the racism and it certainly is still a massive issue. But um in my tiny little niche in the mountain bike world I see definitely huge progression. Um and hopefully that will continue. I know, um, yeah, just yeah, people are raising their kids in a different way and the, and the barriers are less than when, when I grew up. When I grew up, we weren't even encouraged to do sport. When I grew up, it was rugby country and everything revolved around rugby. And if you didn't play rugby, you were no one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so any woman that was sporty, which was me, and wanted to get anywhere, you were on your own. But I mean, you know, I say that, there's loads of progression, but then look at the Olympics. Like those, those women who... When it when in BMX golds there who are having to fund themselves to get to it right like yeah crazy, um, crazy. so from that perspective it hasn't you know um and there's still a long way to go but um but certainly in my little my my little kind of local niche I, I feel like it's it's heading in the right direction for sure yeah that's great to hear definitely yeah, yeah it's interesting about that whole funding thing you know and that's why. You know, I wanted to ask you when you were doing the clan if it was your full time gig, and even if it was Danny's full time gig, because a lot of young kids growing up now they they see a lot of these athletes, but they don't realise the the sacrifice these people mm-hmm. have to go through to get mm-hmm. to that level. And I, you know, a lot of them probably still do have jobs. You know, mm. it's it's not a full time totally. gig because it doesn't pay the bills. It's crazy. Like I know. I know it's interesting, Gareth, because um, I, I talk about this often here, just because I'm conscious of where I raise my kids in the Sea Sky Corridor, and you know Whistler um, and Pember, and a lot of people that live here moved here because the because of the outdoor sports they love, and some of them were professional or semi-professional athletes themselves. So there's like a the level of participation in sport here and the level of skill here is quite high. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think there's a lot of parents who are, you know, wanting their kids to be the next Danny or whoever in the ski world or the snowboarding world and in the bike world, right? And there are role models to look up to and people who have made it. And I think there is this just a slight delusion about what that looks like. You know, you know, I often say, what what do you think a 
professional mountain biker looks like? Do you think that's like you've you made it? You don't you're going to be lauded. You've got you know you you don't need to do anything else because those those opportunities are few and far between. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. Danny's an exception, but I mean he has spent his entire life devoting it to the to mountain biking and trials riding, right? Mm. Like that's and that's a that's a combination to me of natural ability opportunity and bloody hard work you know and being uh, like having the personality that you're driven that way to be better or something and I've always thought about him that he's always he's doing it because he loves it he's not doing it because he was trying to be famous or mm-hmm. you know thinking about making a living he just genuinely loved it and spent hours on his bike and he's a wee bit mad <laughs> Yeah, no, I can totally. You can be you can be talented and I mean I I didn't have the same opportunities, I think partly because I wasn't as good and partly because I was a woman and when we were younger I did track and field and martial arts and everything and, and competed at them to national level, but I didn't get the same opportunities. But also on top of that, I just wasn't driven in the same way. I didn't want to devote my entire life to this one thing but on the off chance that I might make it you know I think the difference between those people who do is is a combination combination of those things and luck you know track and field for me I got to 18 and I was a long jumper and I was in the Commonwealth Games B squad off to Portugal training and I came back and quit because while I was over there I'm like what am I doing yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. chances of me actually getting to the Olympics um, to that level are really really slim because they're um there's a lot of luck involved and there's injuries on top of that as well right so it's a really it's a lot more challenging i think than people think yeah you know yeah. And, and not to dis you know not to discourage people who have that ambition but um i think a, a healthy dose of reality sometimes is not a bad thing and and kind of why i don't push my kids into the sports that i'm into um um if they want to do it that's great if not then they'll find something they're interested in and i'd I'd much rather they were happy that way than me go no you must be a mountain biker because that's what i love to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting you know you you chat about it the way you do because i've been lucky enough to spend quite a lot of time around professional surfers kelly slayer being one of them and um you know, to me, to get to that level, you know, like Kelly Slater's 11 times world champion, he's the GOAT, probably nobody will ever be as good as he was mm-hmm. or win as many championships as he has won. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's something very obsessive about Kelly Slater. He's obsessed mm-hmm. with All surfing. Right. And, yeah. you know, th- there maybe is a better name for it than that, but it's almost, mm-hmm. you know, if you were uh, obsessed, you know, because... This guy can surf anywhere in the world whenever he wants, but he still gets stoked and still can't really sleep when it's three foot on shore. I wouldn't surf in three foot on shore. It's not good (laughs) enough. But you know what I mean? He still is waxing his board first thing in the morning, getting super stoked about going and surfing. The man's 40. The man's almost 50 now, and he's Aye. still like that. Like, what? Aye. There's something, there's just something not quite normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's maybe, I don't know if you're born with that or if you learn it, but it's um, certainly, that. I would say that that's my interpretation of someone like Danny, who's just really, really, really into it, lives for it, and um, has been 
fortunate enough to be able to make a career out of it. But you know, not to not to like forget the sacrifices, like you say, right? The injuries and the toll that takes on your body doing that. You know, yeah, um, totally, totally. Like I, yeah. Been, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you're okay. I was just going to say, like, I've been at top parties with these surfer guys, mm-hmm. you know, and everything's free, everything's laid out there, everything, whatever you want. Kelly Slater goes home early. He says to me, always better to walk home straight. Now, you know, you know what I mean? A lot of the people are yeah. there to see him and a lot of people, he was the he was the main dude then and uh, still is to a certain extent. But, mm-hmm. you know, he was still leaving the party, sacrificing a little bit of fun, a little bit of this because he wanted to be ready for the next morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. A lot of sacrifice. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think, yeah, you have to be willing to just make a decision to do that and go for it if that's what you really want it, what your goals are, you know. But I, I know I, after athletics was like, I'm never going to do that with a sport again. <laughs> and I didn't, I just, I was, I wanted to, I had definitely had ambition to be good at it and and prove myself, especially with the boys, right? Because I was like, I definitely grew up in a very sexist traditional part of the country and I think I spent a lot of my my teenage and early 20s trying to prove that um just because I was a girl didn't mean I couldn't do that stuff and I was I was actually really fortunate that my dad was I was the oldest of of me and my brother and and my dad definitely encouraged me to to do that stuff right um Mm -hmm. so I you know, that was kind of my motivating factor, but I never was like, I'm just going to devote my whole life to this and the off chance that I make it because I was interested in other stuff as well. So, um, I, yeah, that's why I feel so fortunate to have the opportunities I have had in biking and the things that I've been able to do with it. And still now, even, you know, like paid, uh, I coach every spring and summer here for a, uh, a woman who runs a, a very similar to Air Maiden thing here called Sweet Skills in um it's mostly women's kind of bike coaching and then trips. She does like uh, backcountry trips to the Yukon and oh. <laughs> like to ride in the midnight sun. Yeah. And um, all over BC and then kind of bike park stuff and then bike packing stuff up in the Chilcotans. We're only a couple of hours from there here. And so I'm fortunate enough that and I just kind of that's my side gig and I can do that in the spring, in the summer in Pembroke, and it's too damn hot to ride and coach, so we don't <laughs> tend to do that much here. But the fall is is a beautiful time uh, to ride here. So, yeah, I'm I'm fortunate enough that biking still pays some of my bills for me, and I still get to kind of dabble in it. But as far as the kind of that side of it and trying to push push myself and ride to that level, I think you know I'm 45 now, and my body's definitely not what it used to be <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah. <laughs> um, i wanted to ask you about uh whistler then when you moved there were you working in the evolution bike store whistler i was yeah yeah i worked there um for three summers and that was just after i've got so i've got a son who's a, about to be 10 and i've got um twin daughters who are not far from nine so i had three kids really quickly um and then when the twins were born the summer after that, I went to work because um, I know Janine who owns the store. She lives in Pemberton. And um, so I went and worked in the retail, the retail side of that um, for a few summers. And actually the first year I worked there, it was a bit of a superstar sto- store there at the time with all these kind of either sort of pro racers or 
who are now sort of celebrities here. So me, I worked with Remy. Me and him right, worked wow, in the wow. retail. Yeah. And he'd just come over for France and me and him worked in the retail side. And um, and then Claire Bouchard worked in there and her and Chris Kavarik were always around the store. And people used to come in and just stare at her <laughs> like tourists. <laughs> It was kind of entertaining and um, ask for a autograph and stuff like that. She's quite a celebrity in Whistler, and, and rightly so. She's an amazing, amazing human and an amazing athlete. Um, so, yeah, I worked there and um, tried to get Remy to stay off his phone long enough to fold some T-shirts and stuff. And It was a fun store to work in. It's still, it's, it's still awesome. I still go there all the time. Trevor, the manager, is still there. I don't think he'll ever leave. He's from the UK. Um, wow. He's been there. Oh my! I do. I'm. I'm gonna take a guess that he's been managing that store for at least twelve years. Yeah. Cool. Um. But yeah. Yeah. Great. Great store and good memories. And I. I just worked there in the summers, and that was my adult time. You know, when um the kids were all little. I used to have my. I'm gonna go and do my job and talk about bikes with people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's an interesting story that that store because it was started in '95 by. Aye. Janine and she was only yeah. 21 years old right yeah yeah like not yeah, only man, is that is she's so young to start a store but she's a female going into a mountain bike world mm-hmm. like back yeah. then that was a big big move oh totally and I mean um, Janine has a ski background um and it's been there are people there's people here who have been here for a long time um and you know Whistler a lot Pemberton is like a town the size of in Erlethen, it's like about 3,000 people, mm-hmm. but it's like full of overspill from people who had kids and moved to Whistler because it was too expensive to live there, mm-hmm. <laughs> moved to Pemberton. So, yeah, she's been around a long time, her, um, and she, like, to have a shop that long is incredible, actually, so, because so. they don't all survive that well, you know. Um, but, yeah, she did, she used to have um she turns out as like a snowboard ski shop in the winter right and then in the summer she used to do sort of skateboard and stuff as well but now she doesn't even need to do that she's so busy with with bike stuff and it's a cool little local shopping definitely and um well established and yeah i love it i still i still go there every other week <laughs> yeah something. so she just she just keeps it bikes now all year does she no, I mean she's still. You can still get service and done in the um in the winter, but it largely changes to a ski snowboard shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see but that. But yeah, she's I'm sure. still like Santa Cruz and transition in there, um, wow. bikes in there, and uh, like a bunch of people. There was a guy who worked there called Steve when I worked there as a mechanic. He now has he now owns Vorsprung Suspension, which is a suspension shop in Whistler. Um. So yeah, they've had like they've had a lot of well-known um, bike industry people through that store working there, and they also really they support lots of young local riders. So they have their like they they sponsor a bunch of kids, right? And they get sort of discounted stuff or free stuff and a jersey. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Lucas Cruz and Tegan who. Um, like they're both on the kind of World Cup circuit now racing for, I think Tegan, he races for the, you know, that young rock shock SRAM. Okay, team okay. That, yeah, that, yeah. Um, Valley Hall's on. Yeah, he's on that. He's like 16, Canadian national champion. Living in, They live in Pembroke and they're an awesome family, but they've got, they have three boys and they're all like ripping on a bike. Um, Lucas rides for Norco factory team. 
and the rides elite races elite downhill so they all came through that shop they all started you know they were all sponsored i think finn was as well actually finn isles <clears throat> so yeah to- very very central to the kind of evolution excuse the pun of of riding in the community um so yeah it's it's a cool got a cool story that shop you may want to talk to janine at some point if you can get a hold of her yeah <laughs> i would love to get her on everywhere. the podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah amazing amazing no good stuff now i want to chat to you just quickly briefly i know time's running on here about um the fmb world tour because you're a judge on that right well i did register as a judge yeah because i there was a couple of different events happening here um <clears throat> and they asked me to judge it uh, the one was in down in Washington State. There's actually a woman down there done some amazing things um, for free ride, um, women and men down there. And she's based out of a place called Issaquah in Washington, which is about 30 minutes out of Seattle. There's another amazing, it's like a Glen Tress on steroids kind of place, like mm. big, brilliantly set up sort of free ride park with jump lines, doubles, gaps wall rides drops all that sort of thing so she runs an event that was very similar to air, air maiden and i used to go down and coach at it and compete in it um and she's been running that for a while now like i'd say the best part of 10 years um and so yeah a couple of years ago they asked me to go down and coach and then be the head judge on it so i did register with a fmb world tour mm-hmm. to have a judge's judge's license and me and another um couple of guys judged the kind of um, judge the comp there tricks wise and like there's 13 year olds doing tuck no handers and an oh. 8 year old whipping over this big booter honestly crazy crazy level of riding and then up here in Whistler a friend of mine Lisa Mason runs the women's free ride um, bike thing which is a similar thing so she does coaching events at the dirt jumps in Whistler which is also incorporates a competitive element of it so She's also branched out, and it's not just women now. Men, um, she's getting guest coaches, and then she's got a bronze event every year. So, like, I I judged that one as well. Yeah, well, that uh, must that be so interesting seeing these young kids coming up just doing silly stuff, just crazy stuff. Oh, and they're just like so ballsy, you know? Like, like honestly, like little like girls, they just look so little, and they're just sending over this massive booter. Uh, I wouldn't hit that jump now. There's a big jump line in the in the dirt jump park in Whistler. It's a, I think it's a four or five pack of dirt jumps. They're just like big tombstones, right, with huge gaps and huge mm. consequences. <laughs> Joey did it one year um, and schooled everybody on how to ride those. She's the dirt jump queen for sure. Because yeah. um, that's the thing. I think there's a lot of, you know, the bike park jumps are so different from the actual dirt jumps um because it's all built so nicely in the bike park here and you can kind of you can hit pretty big jumps but speed and just not have to think about too much the landing whereas the dirt jumps you really need to have a technical sense of how to jump right um to to be able to keep it going mm-hmm. and hit them perfectly right so um, yeah, she was. She came over uh, one year, and uh, she was. She just happened to be over on holiday, and she. I think she was doing a couple of crankworks things, and she she entered it, and I'm pretty sure she won it actually. Now I think about it. Um, but yeah, lots, yeah, lots of um, lots of younger riders now 
coming up and just like their skill set and the tricks that they're pulling off at that age are pretty impressive yeah but yeah yeah did, I have a, I don't have any plans for that um in anytime soon any more judging stuff but I mean it's been COVID and there haven't been a ton of events things are just getting going here again you know mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. so what what does the future hold for you have you anything MTB holiday wise planned or anything like that or um, I would like to come home and visit my family at some point. <laughs> um, <laughs> that hasn't really happened for the last three years. But um, as far as Air Maiden goes, I mean, I did. I started a girls' club in Scotland called Mini Maidens, um, and it was a it was kind of race focused. In the you know, I wanted to take these girls away, have a team, go to the like mini downhill races with them, and help them session the track and get to grips with the race lines and stuff and then just kind of more general skill stuff and it was a kind of club um and that kind of stopped which when I left Scotland which was kind of sad I was yeah I felt bad leaving that and um but a lot of the girls have continued on to do to do more racing and continue to be involved so I've actually taken some of the funds that we had left over for that um and I've partnershiped with Endura Mm. to produce air maiden riding jerseys um lightweight super cool a friend of mine over here designed them and um endura produced them and it's a collaboration with them because they've really like um um entered into the spirit of kind of trying to get more girls into racing or at least help fund Mm -hmm. their access to it um i feel like that's still quite a barrier especially in scotland to to young girls and women who want to race especially to kind of you know since the way that the UCIs have sanctioned local races a few years ago, you had to travel to Europe to get points to be able to enter a World Cup. Uh, that may have changed now, but um, but certainly then it was a real struggle. Like you had girls having to travel over to IXS Cup to get points to be in a World Cup. Um, so the re- the racing jersey the, or the riding jerseys that we produced, I've sent half of them to my mum's in Scotland and half of them are here and um, we're going to sell them <clears throat> and we're going to um, the proceeds are going to be awarded to a rider who um, in the fall we're going to do a kind of bit of a promotion about it and just say uh, ask girls who are in a race in to um, submit a little two minute edit or something and then we'll award somebody with 500 quid five or 500 dollars if it's here um, to go towards racing costs for next year. Yeah, maybe. so that's kind of what I do. I just feel like, yeah, I don't honestly have a lot of time anymore to devote to the level I did before with the event stuff. I may, I may dabble in the future, but um, uh, and I might do something back home. I know Ian, Ian Weathers is still harassing me to do. He's got a farm now with a bunch of dirt jumps on it, and he'd like me to do a women's thing there. So maybe I'll do that in the future if if I come back home. Um. But yeah, I want to really just try and kind of um, assist in any way I can with girls who want to race and race downhill or whatever enduro and help them to kind of access that with a bit of financial support. Because I know how hard it is. And a lot of these, like, you know, a little Michaela Parton from Fort William, who's been privateering it away and working her wee ass off to get to where she is. And she's a great role model for for um girls coming up so like and I know there's a bunch of girls in Scotland who are racing downhill doing pretty well like Amy Kenyon who just did um I think she just won her junior British champs in downhill and she was in the mini maidens you know and so 
and little Katie Chaos from Dumfries and Galloway, who's an up-and-coming enduro racer. Um, they all came through Mini Maidens, and now they're really into racing, and I want to be able to support that in any way I can. So maybe I'll try and make that an annual thing, uh, just do the jerseys and sell them for that. But um, there's also some stuff happening over here with um, Indigenous Women Outdoors. We <clears throat> we live really close in Pembroke into a First Nations community. And um, there's a woman heading up a, an organisation called Indigenous Women Outdoors who's trying to create opportunities for First Nations women to access the mountains and the sports that are kind of really quite elitist, I think, um, yes. still to this day. And I think, you know, we talk about inclusion and diversity and I think a lot of it comes down to poverty and money and it's a very middle middle class sport right mountain biking it's bloody expensive i mean i'm mm. i'm learning that now myself with children who are in biking i'm like oh my god i can't afford this i'm like soon i'm going to we're all going to be sharing one bike <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i'm like i'd just like it to be a bit more accessible and i think a lot of that has to do with money and this is a bloody expensive part of the world to live in really really expensive part of the world to live in so there's definitely a huge contrast between um, um, Whistler and the kind of wealth that exists in certain parts of that town and also the poverty that exists by all the people that are the young people who are, you know, working for nothing to live the dream and have that experience. Right. And um, living piled on top of each other and in, in, uh, in, a, in a market where the accommodation is very limited and very, very overpriced. So. Yes. Yeah, that would be something that I think I would like to just have have some sort of impact and is just creating more opportunity for those who, you know, I, I just feel like there's a huge section of the population who have talent who maybe aren't getting to access mountain biking or these other sports because they don't have the financial means or their families don't to provide them with the equipment or the passes that are needed, you know. Yeah, um, oh, so true, so true. Yeah, so that's something that I'm, I feel like I'm be, becoming more passionate about and just related to where I live and how I grew up, you know. I grew up on a in a um, <clears throat> small town and we just run about the streets playing <laughs> <laughs> and on our crappy bikes building jumps when we were younger. But, um, but yeah, I'd like to see more of that for sure, more yeah, opportunity well. for... It certainly amazing everything you've done and everything it sounds like you're planning to do for sure in, in, in the near future. And um, it's just a pity Scotland lost you and Whistler got you, but <laughs> there you go. Well, I still I do still keep in touch with them. Um, what's going on back there? And there's certainly like it's not that there's nothing happening there now. The Air Maiden doesn't sort of run anymore there. It's more um, there's more people just stepped in, right? I know mm-hmm. Bex. I think Bex Barona is now running women's clinics in Innerleithen and the Tweed Valley where I used to and some of my friends who were just getting into biking back there are now coaches and um so there's definitely stuff happening Anila McKenna obviously is doing a whole bunch of stuff across the board she's I feel like she's everywhere but they start they certainly started a a group in the in the Tweed Valley and um aimed at women getting more women into biking and she's been doing stuff like that for years so yeah, there's no shortage of that stuff happening, I, but I do miss it. I miss the banter. I miss <laughs> I miss the, my Scottish friends and family. So it'd be good to get over next year for a visit. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, listen, before I let you go, how can people find out more about you or check out Air Maiden or something similar to that? Where's the best place to go? Um, So I guess I do, I mean, I'm I'm on Instagram. The Air Maiden is my my handle name on Instagram. Um, There is, we do have a Facebook group. I think it's sort of randomly used now, but it has over a thousand members on it who are still keeping in touch. And people do often post about, women's events or coaching events and I have had friends of mine contact me and say do you mind if I just share this post it's about a women's thing um women's biking event on that page mm-hmm. um and then sweet skills is the other um sweet skills bc is the other um operator that I work for um up here in Pemberton and um, Sylvia Allen is the name of the woman that runs that business and she's if if anybody over there is looking for a bike holiday honestly like a women's bike holiday she just does such high ending she's actually she runs stuff in Croatia and Peru as well and yeah big sort of big old biking adventure holidays as well as kind of more local BC skills based stuff but so yeah sweet skills BC is another one all right, cool, cool. Well, listen, it's been brilliant having you on, and I've really enjoyed our chat. And uh, yeah, it's so interesting, you know, just to hear how people get into things and how they just evolve through the whole bike scene because there's so much happening in it. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just such a, a a hugely growing sport and popularity, and it's great to see so many people accessing it because it's it's such a it's such a great way to release stress, right? And I know being a mum, we've talked about, and my mum friends, about how, how much that's helped our mental health with babies, right? Just getting out into the yeah. forest. So yeah, so many benefits for everyone. And um, and I think, yeah, the more people that get the opportunity or access to the outdoors and getting out into the woods for some fun time and um, having little encounters with wildlife, I think it's, um, yeah, the healthier we'll all be, right? Yeah, great, great. Brilliant. Well, listen, it's been awesome having you on. I'll let you go because I know you have a busy day ahead of you there as far as bikes and stuff go. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for asking me on. It's been a pleasure. And yeah. That's a wrap for episode 204. I hope you enjoyed that, folks, and I hope you got plenty from it. It was great to hear Lynn's story and how the whole scene has changed over the years. And Lynn has been such a big part in getting girls and ladies and women out on bikes riding you know it makes a big big difference and she set up a path and a direction for a lot of these things that are happening today and without her input probably wouldn't have happened so she deserves a lot of credit for that and Lynn I know you said you weren't going to listen back to the podcast but I just want to say a big thanks for your time for spending time coming on chatting and sharing your story so thanks so much for doing that I really do appreciate it now, folks, if you want to know a little bit more about what we chatted about in Lynn's episode, you can go to the show notes, mtb-tribe.com, search for Lynn's episode 204, and you'll get all the socials there and quick and easy links to get yourself more involved with the Air Maiden and other stuff that Lynn has got going on there. Now, one last thing, if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to show your support, the best way is by reviewing us on whatever podcast platform you listen to your podcasts on. It helps spread the good word about the show to more people and hopefully get more people on saddles and off the sofas and hitting the trails. You can also visit our website, mtb-tribe.com, 
where you can find the complete bike catalogue, listen and download every show from there for free. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the podcast. If you want to follow the show on socials, you will find us at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to get in contact with the show, the best way is just simply to email me info at mtb-tribe.com. I do read all emails and I will get back to you. That's all I got for you this week, folks. So until next week, when I will have another episode of the MTB Tribe podcast, as always, get the bikes out, hit the trails and stay MTB stoked.